Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us, but truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Welcome back to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast. So grateful to be able to spend a little bit of time with you today. All of you who are my fellow Mavericks and my fellow Misfits, and for those of you that are first-time listeners, we're grateful that you have found us. I don't know how you found us because we don't do a ton of promotion, but I'm just grateful that you um, have connected with us. The purpose of Mavericks and Misfits is really um, just to connect with people who, in one way or another, feel somewhat out of place in the status quo version of Christianity, Um, maybe denominational Christianity, maybe what I call mindless Christianity sometimes, and what I mean by that is not to be insulting, but to to recognize the fact that a lot of people don't think their way through their faith. They just kind of buy into a set of Christianized standards and never bother to check with the Word of God to find out what the Word says. And I'm a big proponent of being a thinking Christian, and um, I also clearly want to grow in being a feeling Christian. I want heart, mind, soul, and strength to be engaged in loving the Lord and all that we are and all that we do. And so that's what Mavericks and Misfits is about. We don't buy into any one set of denominational standards. And I'm uh, convinced at this point that um, if we can take the best from all of the different denominations that the best that is in line with scripture and bring it into a kind of a composite version of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, then we're going to be the type of people that can be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And I want to be that person. And I'm sure that you do too. And because of that, we tend to buck the system a little bit. We we tend to ask questions in some places where Christianity uh, seems to promote that um, you're not allowed to ask questions. I remember being a part of a a movement early on in my Christian life that um, when I would ask questions as a curious new Christian wanting to know why we believed what we believed, I remember irritating some people because I always had questions, but I just want to know what I believe is true. And I've never been one to buy hook, line, and sinker something um, that is taught to me without investigating, hey, is this thing actually true? Because quite frankly, some sincere people get it wrong. Um, They're just passing down what they were taught, and they didn't examine it, and the person who taught them didn't examine it. And so there are some really sincere Jesus-loving people who are just wrong about certain parts of the kingdom, and so I didn't want to perpetuate that. I want to be one who is speaking, believing, and teaching what is true. I want to be living what is true, and I don't ever want to give myself to error. I did that for the first 24 years of my life. Uh, living out what people said was the best way to live a life. And then when I got born again in 1994, I I didn't want to continue on that way of living. I didn't want to just listen to what somebody told me life was about. I wanted to know what God said. I want to know what God's opinion is. I want to know what what the Lord dictates, not what people that, you know, I I don't want to know what people say the Bible says. I want to know what the Bible says. Uh, that's, there's a big difference. Don't just believe what people say the Bible says, find out for yourself and find out what does the Bible actually say to me and then live that with all your might. Today, I want to take a couple of verses from 
uh, a portion of scripture that I've been meditating on. As many of you know, I'm, I'm doing a new assignment. I've just begun in recent weeks a new assignment at a new church for the first time in 27 years. I'm a member of a church other than Newbridge Church where I was when it was called Meadow Baptist back in the day, and then it became Newbridge Church. And I left that ministry and fulfilled that assignment uh, a few weeks ago and have started now at the church at Winder. And so I've been revisiting what's called the pastoral epistles. Those are the letters in the Bible, First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus. And those were letters written by Paul to two young pastors, Timothy and Titus, teaching them the ins and outs of what it means to be a servant of the Lord, what it means to be a preacher, an elder, um, a pastor, an evangelist, and a prophet, and how to shepherd people and how to steward your time, steward your gifting, steward your resources in a way that brings honor to God and makes you a wise um, manager of all the resources God gives you. So I've been studying First and Second Timothy in the book of Titus, uh, just listening to him on audio Bible over and over again. And there's a passage that I want to read that I think is really important for all of us. Some of you that are listening, we have a lot of young people that are listening to this podcast and they're just getting started in ministry. And it's very unique because the, the, the season that the church is in, at least in America, um, is a season of conflict. There's a lot of infighting going on among Christians in the church in America. Entire denominations are fighting with each other online. It's really sad, to be honest with you. Um, and then you have the political um, contamination that has gotten into the church. And so a lot of people are fighting with their brothers and sisters in Christ to whom they will be connected for eternity, but they're fighting over them over temporary American politics. And so it's a really hostile season in some places in the body of Christ in America. And there's a lot of young people that are stepping in and, and sensing a call of God on their lives and saying, God, what do I do? What do I focus on? There's so much chatter there's so much noise. There's so much I could give myself to, Lord, what do I, what do I make my priority and how do I minister the gospel of peace and the gospel of reconciliation and the gospel of redemption and joy and the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit and the unity of the Spirit and the Ephesians 4 around chapter uh, verses four and five, that, that unity, the one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one God and Father of us all. How, how do I minister that? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you something today. It's not going to answer all those questions, but I want to give you something today that we've got to get into our soul. We have to get this down. And I, I, whether you're young or old or male or female, whether you're just getting started out in ministry, whether you're not in vocational ministry at all, but listen, we're all servants. We're all ministers. And this is a character trait that I'm going to give you. This is not as functional or utilitarian as it is. Um, a character trait. You have to cultivate this type of heart within you. So let me read two verses out of the book of 2 Timothy in chapter number 2. So 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, teach me how to live as a servant of the Lord in the midst of a conflicting, um, hostile, adversarial, combustible, volcanic kind of culture. And so let me just share with you what Paul said to Timothy, you know, 2000 years ago. And these are his words. Now just let them soak into you for a second and recognize this is God's command to me. This is God's command to you. 
It is the expectation of the Lord. It doesn't have anything to do with your temperament or your personality or the people you're serving. This is what we call an imperative, an imperative command. It means it's non-negotiable, and this is what God expects of us. And here are the words, 2 Timothy 2.24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And let me just give you the verse 26. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, must be kind to everyone, must be able to teach, must patiently endure evil, must correct his opponents with gentleness so that God can grant those opponents repentance, lead them to a knowledge of truth so that they can come to their senses, escape the snare of the devil after they've been captured by him to do his will. Pretty potent stuff. And I just want to, I want to kind of preach a charge. <laughs> I, I want to challenge you to step up your game in this area of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Because if you're saved, these apply to you. If you're born again, if you're a Jesus follower, I don't care if you're Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, non-denominational, Methodist, Lutheran, I don't care about any of that stuff. This is God's word breaking through, whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, whether you are communicative or reserved, whether you are bold or timid, this is the word of the Lord for you. And so let's talk about it because it's in the context of how do we treat people that are thorny, people that are problematic, people that want to, you know, oppose us as we are seeking to humbly accomplish the will of the Lord for our lives. How do we deal with our opposition? How do we deal with the friction? How do we do with those that we might even consider enemies? And the context here is Paul talking to a young pastor named Timothy, saying, Timothy, you're going to suffer a lot of opposition as you stand for what is true and right in the kingdom. And Timothy, there's a wrong way to fight. And Timothy, there's a right way to fight. Now, Timothy was seen as a kind of a timid, passive guy. Paul had to kind of stir him up in a few places in his two letters to Timothy. But here, Paul is giving the other side of the coin because it's one thing to take it patiently, but some people internalize and they, they just kind of let it, they stuff it. They let it go deep down within and they just don't say anything. And then boom, one day they've had enough and they explode on people. And um, we don't want to be timid, but nor do we want to be volcanic. And so this is why Paul tells this, this young pastor, Timothy, and he's, the word of God is telling us, hey, you can't be a person who's given to being quarrelsome. What does that mean? Because that's the first command. It's a negative imperative. That's what it's called. It's you must not be, as the Lord's servant, quarrelsome. You can't be a fight picker. You can't be the person who's always stirring up debate. You can't throw a verbal grenade into a conversation knowing that it's going to blow up and send shrapnel into people and it's going gonna, it's gonna to stick them. It's going to wound them. It's going to hurt them or it's going it's to provoke them. The Lord's servant doesn't do that. The Lord's servant doesn't go around looking for debate, looking to stir somebody up so they can throw that person down. 
But in opposition to that kind of spirit, we're told here that the Lord's servant's kind to everybody. I want you to think about that with me for a minute. Uh, God's word is so practical. It says, hey, be nice to each other. You know, in the midst of all of the mysteries, all of the prophetic, all of the revelation, all of the eschatological end time stuff that's out there on the horizon, the, the word of God says, hey, when you wake up today and you go about your business, be nice, be kind to everyone. You're not to go out there being quarrelsome. Obnoxiousness is not a fruit of the spirit. It's a work of the flesh. You proving that you've got an ax to grind or you've got the upper hand on a pet doctrine or you um, thinking that you can, you know, oppose a know-it-all with you becoming a greater know-it-all. That's not Jesus. That's not the Lord. It doesn't mean we can't talk about divisive issues, but it means the spirit that we carry determines whether or not God's in it or not. And so if we're kind of pugnacious and we're looking to pick a fight and win a fight, and most, by the way, most people that pick fights only pick fights that they're convinced they, they can win. So they always go to their point of strength and try to start a quarrel on something that they're very well versed in or they're very knowledgeable in or they're very skilled at, at advancing or defending. But that's not the Lord. The Lord didn't send you out there to pick a fight. The Lord didn't send you out there to, you know, shine up your badge of, you're the sheriff of Christiantown and you're going to make everybody obey your, your ways and your rules. That's not Jesus. You've got to be kind to everybody. And by the way, here is the only um, functional qualification in the list of what it means to be the servant of the Lord. Um, you're not to quarrel. You need to be kind. You need to be nice to everybody. But then it gives this little phrase, able to teach. Very important here. When Paul is writing Timothy, he's writing him as a pastor. And he gives the qualifications of what it means to be an elder or an overseer of the Lord. Um, and I, th I think it's important that you and I recognize that, that there is a need for, for leaders and elders and overseers and bishops and all of those people. Um, they need to be able to teach. I mean, it's, it's very clear. As a matter of fact, Paul writes a whole chapter about it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and he gives the the um, qualifications for overseers. And it's interesting. They're all about the character of the overseer, the character of the servant of the Lord, the character of the um, pastor, if you will. But, but the functional aspect is, is that he has to be able to teach. That's in first Timothy three, two, it's got all this stuff about how he needs to live and what his characters would be like, but it says he's got to be able to teach. And so when we get down into second Timothy in chapter two, in these verses I've read, I'm reading, Paul, Paul says it again. He's like, Oh yeah, the servant of the Lord needs to be able to teach. In other words, you can be skilled at arguing, but God's not in that. God is not really advancing a bunch of arguers in the kingdom, but he is raising up people that can know the word of God and teach the word of God. Because your opinion, my opinion, doesn't really matter. I mean, let's, let's just get humble here for a second. Who cares what you think? No, seriously. Who cares what I think? Who cares what Jeff Lyle's opinion is if it isn't in line with the word of God? And how will they know it's in line with the word of God if I actually don't prioritize the word of God being uh, paramount and in the forefront more so than my opinion? Um, some people... Uh, just live their lives as those who have to say something. I, got, I just got to say something. But the servant of the Lord has something to say. There's a difference between have to say something versus having something to say. And if we are in the word of God, we need to be apt to teach it. So listen, 
um, especially for the younger. I'm so burdened these days for sons and daughters in the faith and, and younger people teens 20s early 30s and and i would i would just say to you 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 quit sidestepping the reality that you need to be in the word i want to i want all these i want spiritual encounters i want tongues i want prophecy i want revelation i want miracles i want signs wonders i want all of that stuff because it's available i flow in some of that stuff and i'm i'm seeking to grow in all of that stuff but but ultimately none of that stuff really um is is sufficient if we don't know the truth of what God has already said. I know a lot of people that are waiting on that next prophetic word, but they, they don't even know the written word. And, and how can you discern the prophetic word being true if you don't know the written word? So we have to be able to teach. Now back into 2 Timothy 2, the next phrase is that we have to patiently endure evil. That means we got to put up with some real rottenness in our generation. We have to learn to live with um, the evil that is all around us, and it's not theoretical. It's going to touch your life. Paul has already said in this chapter that all that are going to live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. They're going to endure pain. They're going to be mistreated. And while I'm at it, it's not just they are, it's you are. You've got to learn to endure the evil of your generation without it provoking you into being a constantly hostile a person who lives to give pushback. Um, it's it's a fine line. We need to speak out against the sins of the culture. We, we need to be salt and light. I've already mentioned that. We, we need to be individuals that are um, opposing the wickedness in our culture. But I'm just going to be honest, man. I feel like the church lost their testimony with the culture in 2020. And and, and listen, I'm, I'm not out to please the culture. What I'm talking about is our genuine Christian testimony. I, I don't think we were like Jesus in 2020. I think we were like rabid conservative Americans, uh, those parts of the church that were pro-Donald Trump. Um, that's fine to vote for him. I don't have any issues. With, I voted for him. I don't have any issues. I voted for him primarily because I knew he would protect the unborn, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris would make it extremely difficult for the unborn to stand any kind of fighting chance. And so it was a no-brainer for me. And Donald Trump was not the perfect candidate by all means, but my goodness, look at what's happening already with our religious freedoms and the Equality Act and uh, the, the reality that eight-year-olds can pick their gender when, when you know, two years after they learn how to read, we think they're ready to pick their gender. All that stuff's wicked. I mean, it's just straight-up wicked. But the church in 2020 became more of a political vehicle than a gospel vehicle. And that's a terrible testimony. And we just have to patiently endure the evil. Like right now, I just mentioned to you some things from the political side of things that are evil. And what am I doing? Am I going to wake up and lament? Am I going to throw myself on the floor and cry all day? No, I'm going to get up and live in this wicked world. And I'm going to speak the truth and the love and the kindness of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go out and live my life. And I'm going to seek to win people through the word. I'm going to teach them the truth. And I'm going to be a person of truth, but I'm going to be kind to everyone. Why? Because that's what the Bible says the servant of the Lord must do. And I don't think we were very kind as Christians in 2020. I think we were about as hostile as everybody else in the culture. And I don't, I don't, I want us to rectify that. And so we've got to be individuals that are patiently enduring the evil. It's just going to grow. Evil is going to grow. 
And ultimately, Jesus Christ comes back to the planet and evil will be banished forever. But until then, there will be a growing evil that culminates in the person of the Antichrist. And as the Antichrist does what the Antichrist will do is prophesied in Scripture, there will be torture, there will be murder, there will be persecution, there will be imprisonment, there will be the regulation of speech and freedoms, there will be the removal of the right to express worship under the God of the Bible. And those that refuse to take the mark of the beast will give their lives and loyalty to Jesus. All of that's going to happen. So if you're waiting for the utopian version of um, goodness to just show up on planet Earth and we're all going to make this thing happen, I'm sorry, but you're theologically incorrect. And the word of God is very clear that there is coming a season where the Antichrist will appear and evil will explode on Earth. And until that culminates in the, the person and the work of the Antichrist, you'll see a gradual growing of evil. The culture is not going to get more holy. doesn't mean that revival can't break out, but revival is not going to overturn the culture, the world system and planet Earth. Um, revival will, will help us to reach people that will become a remnant of true believers at the end of the age. But the, the end of the age is characterized culturally across the planet as being increasingly wicked. And so what do we do? Well, the servant of the Lord cannot be quarrelsome. He's got to be kind to everybody. He's got to be able to teach. He or she's got to be able to teach. The servant of the Lord has to patiently endure evil. And then it says in verse 25 that the servant of the Lord's got to correct his or her opposition with gentleness. Very important. When I was younger, I was kind of a bulldog. And I was kind of known in our church and around other churches that we fellowshiped with. I was kind of known as the the new guy, the young guy, the dude that got delivered from a really rough lifestyle. And wow, that Jeff Lyle, he's really bold. And I kind of proudly wore that mantle, even to the extent that when I was offering correction, I didn't even think about doing it with gentleness. I didn't. I mean, bless God, I had the brick of truth and you had the forehead of error. and I was going to put the brick right on your forehead. And so I treated people with a fair amount of unchristian abrasiveness. Um, I know for a fact I hurt some people. I was right. I was theologically right. I had the right information and content, but I was inwardly wrong because I, I had the truth of Jesus, but I didn't yet have the heart of Jesus. So I didn't correct my opposition with gentleness. I corrected them with a little bit of swagger. Um, a little bit of arrogance and you know, God's so good because what God does is he'll let you run with that for a minute. And then he says, okay, Sonny, let me take you aside and I'm going to break you. I'm going to humble you. And I'm going to let you start throwing that brick at yourself because you've got a lot of arrogance and you've got a lot of inward stuff, Jeff Lyle, that, um, is not profitable for me. I can't use it. And so I'm going to take you into a long season of humbling. And when you come out, you're still going to want to correct your opponents, but you're going to learn how to obey this command to correct your opponents with gentleness. It's a tough word, right? Cause some of you are kind of like I am. You, you've got the truth, you love the truth, but you don't yet have the truth of love. It means you have the content, but you don't have the charisma. You don't have the grace gift of learning how to function in love. And, and the servant of the Lord's got to do that. And so listen, I'm not telling you stop correcting people, but I am telling you, you have to master gentleness when you do it. Why? Because it says in verse 25 that through your correction with gentleness, God can grant repentance, leading those that are in error to a knowledge of the truth. Like they, they come to the truth more easily when we are breathing out the truth with kindness, with gentleness, 
with patience as we endure their error or even their evil. And we are choosing not to engage in quarreling with people, but we're being kind to everybody. And God says, yeah, that's the type of ministry I can use. I can actually use that woman. I can actually use that man when they will take my truth and learn how to offer it with the spirit of Jesus. I mean, it was a rare occasion where Jesus wasn't kind. Um, And even when he appeared not to be kind, it still wasn't sin for him because he's God. So when he's flipping over tables, it is righteous anger in the temple. When he is getting in the grill of the Pharisees and he is saying, you are vipers, you are hypocrites. Those aren't sweet, loving words, but he's actually offering them mercy because he's challenging their error and he's calling them in their hard heartedness for what they are. But those are the rare times when he meets the adulterous woman. He's not railing on her. When he meets Zacchaeus, who's kind of a thief and an un, um, he's not an honest person. Um, he's, he's not exposing Zacchaeus as the most wicked person in the city at that time. He, he actually says, Zacchaeus, can I go to your house and have a meal? Zacchaeus gets saved, repents, and everybody knows it. And so when we see the kindness of the Lord in correcting his opposition, we have to say, I need to grow in that. I need to be like that. Why? Well, the end of it is verse 26 says, some people come to their senses. Isn't that amazing? Your kindness and your firmness in truth, but your kindness as you deliver truth will enable people to come to their senses. That's what the Bible says. That's not me. That's the Bible. That's 2 Timothy 2.26. And they escape the snare of the devil. That means they get out of the devil's trap because you taught them what was true. You spoke what was true. You did it with kindness. You refused to match their obnoxious desire to debate. And they got released from the devil's trap after they had been captured by him for a long time to do his will. So guys, kindness is important. Gentleness is important. How we operate with our opposition is important. How we respond to a very hostile culture is crucial. And by the way, I think one of the saddest things that you could ever have on your personal resume is that you made an art out of fighting with other Christians. My goodness, we're going to stand before Jesus one day and Jesus is going to, in some way, hold us accountable for how many hours, weeks, months, years, how many hours words that we employed to fight with his kids his other the other children of god instead of fighting the devil instead of interceding instead of praying in the spirit instead of witnessing instead of encouraging exhorting edifying with our words we chose to fight and argue and quarrel with other Christians about pet doctrines and controversies in the kingdom and splitting this hair and standing on this soapbox. And oh my goodness, I do not want to answer ever again for any more of that nonsense. I want to be a servant of the Lord who opposes people only in the sense if they're in error that harms them I want to oppose that, but I want to do it with the spirit of Jesus, always seeking the highest good of those who consider themselves my opposition. 
So plenty to think about today as we close out our time together. Thanks for listening today. Listen, I want to encourage you. Go by the Transforming Truth website, transformingtruth.org. Um, I want to. I just want to feed you spiritually. That's really all I want to do in the kingdom is I want to feed the people of God spiritually. I'm much more of a pastor, teacher, prophet than I am an evangelist. I want people to be saved, but that is not my primary calling. My primary calling is to help the children of God walk in the truth that the Lord has given them. And so I really want to encourage you to go by Transforming Truth. Take advantage of the free resources there video, audio, social media links, blog, all of that stuff. Um, Check it out. Listen, if you want to help me personally in my ministry, there's a couple of books on Transforming Truth. I wrote one in entirety that is called Figuring It Out As I Go. It'll tell you about my journey, how God led me out of a broken, broken life as a child and a teenager and led me into the kingdom. And then he delivered me a second time from the, the tentacles of religion that had turned me into a legalist in the early years of my Christianity and how he saved me from that and then how he brought me into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's, I'm, real, I'm a word and spirit guy. Um, it's not enough just to you know cling to our Bibles. I want to cling to my Bible, sure, but I need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there's several chapters in there that chronicle my journey into the Holy Spirit from a denomination that did not believe in the gifts and the works of the Holy Spirit. And um, it'll share with you very transparently my journey. It talks about how I had to wrestle with demons like literally had demons coming after me in my life and then a couple of really really powerful encounters I had with the Lord Um, it also shares a little bit about my struggles as a young pastor and fighting the spirit of religion and so there's something in there for everybody and your purchase of those books helps sustain this ministry and I'd love for you to grab a copy of it so go to transformingtruth.org and grab yourself a copy the second book I wrote one chapter in and I wrote it with many other Christian leaders and authors and preachers here in America it's called Igniting Revival Fires Every Day it's published by my friend Todd Smith of the North Georgia Revival and I got to write a chapter in there but it's all it's a daily devotional towards revival and it will so help you in your walk with the Lord so those books are on the website hope you'll check it out and i am out of here it is right at 30 minutes and i finished on time today so hallelujah tune in next time to mavericks and misfits podcast and we will have something else to provoke you to think and to press you further into a deepening relationship with the son of god who is going to return and when he returns i want to be found ready we'll talk to you next time god bless thank you for listening to today's mavericks and misfits podcast If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.